Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Crossing Nation, how are you doing today? Are you doing all right? Man, in the middle of the pandemic, I said there's gonna come a moment in time where I'm just gonna start giving out hugs. I just want you to know I started this weekend. I'm giving them out, I'm not charging, I'm getting consent. Uh, but if you're in the mood to, uh, to hug a heavy person, I am your guy. Uh, it is just so good to be out. In fact, I think we're gonna be going out in our communities and offering up some free hugs. It's just good to be able to be together and recognize that God is doing something cool in our church and in our communities. And hopefully uh, God will use what we do today to further uh, move or move forward in that initiative. I wanna talk to you guys about a couple of things before we get going. So for all of you who are joining here at 48th Street or our different locations or watching online, we are two weeks away from Easter. And that's a big opportunity for us as we celebrate what Jesus did on our behalf. And I wanna encourage you guys to do uh, one of, two of, three of, three things. First thing is we've added a bunch of different services at many of our locations, which means we're gonna be having auxiliary service times across many of our different spaces where we gather. And we've posted those. And if you're the kind of person who's on social media, would you help us get the word out to our community so that way they know uh, when we're gonna be having services so that they uh, can plan with their family on how to attend because we wanna make sure we have space for everybody. Second thing I wanna encourage you to do is I want you to encourage to bring somebody. We, those of us who have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ know how meaningful that is for us. And we also know that the gospel of Jesus wasn't supposed to just come to us. It was supposed to go through us. And we want to use Easter as an opportunity to bring some people that we care about that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. Jerry's going to have an incredible Easter message. It will be a great weekend for you to bring a friend. So I want you to work hard on bringing somebody with you. And then the third thing I'm going to ask you guys to do is would you just start praying over our Easter services that they uh, that God would use those to help as many people as possible find an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's a deal, can I see you guys say deal? Deal? deal. Perfect. You guys are great. Uh, so three years ago, something special happened in my house. My chair broke. And when I say my chair, it's because I have a chair in the house. How many of you at all of our locations, you have your chair? Like everybody, yeah, everybody can sit wherever they want, but this is this is your chair. Well, for the first eight years of Jennifer and I's marriage, we had gotten all of our furniture from either the thrift store or we would be at someone's house and they would be like, I think we're gonna get rid of this. And Jennifer and I would be like, are you sure you don't like it? Because we'll take it right now. We'll be right back. Let me go get a trailer. And so all of our furniture had been, you know, two or three or four hand-me-downs by the time it got to us. And one day I'm sitting in my chair and it broke. And so for the first time, uh, I went to a furniture store. Crazy cool places. If you guys have never been, you'll love it there. And I went in and they had a chair that was a Clayton Hensel size chair. Now this is a big deal. I'm six foot six. And I bought a chair that when I sit in it, my feet don't touch the ground. Like I look like a normal person in it. It's that huge. I was gonna, this is not that chair, okay? Um, <laughs> I don't think I can get my chair out of my house. I think it stays with. Like when I sell it, like, and it has this chair because it's now a part of the house, it's just that big. So I couldn't bring it, so we, this chair will have to do. And the deal is, is I, I like sitting in my chair. 
Uh, there's a, uh, a couple that come to our church and above his bed, he has like a, a, his initial with like a crown hanging off the side of it. And I want that because I want to feel like I'm the king of my castle. Uh, Jennifer has given me a hard no on all of that happening. But that's, that's what happens when I, uh, when I sit in my chair. I mean, this is like my throne. And I, oh yeah. I mean, you guys get to sit all through church. We should start changing this. I should get to sit during church too. Uh, this is the chair that, this is the chair where my boys, where they watch movies with me. There's been f- over 400 pounds of, of Hensel flesh in my chair as we have moved through the Marvel movies. They just sit there and it's just, oh, it's just so hot, but we just watch it. Uh, this is the chair where uh, Zane, almost every night reads for 15 or 20 minutes as we go through the books he's supposed to read for school. It's where my niece, uh, Kinley, she comes up to me and she goes, I go, what do you want, Kinley? And she goes, I need to cuddle Clayton. So she hops up here and sits right here. Jennifer rearranges the furniture from time to time, but there's only two places that my chair goes in all the rearranging. You can put it there or there. And then the TV has to be tilted to whichever direction, just how it is. Okay, she loves me. Uh, This is in the chair where I eat my well-deserved ice cream after the kids go to bed. Like tonight, at about nine o'clock, I'll be going through Dairy Queen. I'm gonna get, you know, a cookie jar blizzard, no fudge. The other day I was ordering it and I started my order and the lady finished it on the other side of the thing. I'm like, bless you, my child. Come to the crossing for Easter. Uh, I, you know, I'm gonna sit, tonight I'm gonna be eating ice cream in my chair. Uh, It's where I watch my basketball games, uh, it's where I speak encouraging words over my kids. Uh, it's where I issue out judgments, bark out orders, solve disputes. I mean, it's where I reign from. I'm the king of my castle. This is my throne. And from time to time, I'll come into my house and somebody will be sitting in my chair. I don't even have to say anymore. You guys are already like, preach, Clayton. You've been there. The smart kids get up and they just disappear. They're like, they know what they've done is wrong. Then sometimes the kids will pretend like they're asleep. Now that's a baller move. Because parents, sometimes we don't want to risk waking them up if they are asleep. It's just like, just let them stay there. Put a blanket on them. Leave. You know, you're just backing out of the room. Uh, But sometimes there's an argument. Why do you always get to sit in this chair, Dad? Son, I'll tell you why. Well, you guys know the answer. Because I bought it. That's, that's why I get to sit in that chair. I get up early, stay up late, I work hard. I bought that chair. And son, when you get a job, and you want to live in your own house, and you got money, You can buy any chair you want and you can sit in it. The other issue is, I don't fit anywhere else. (laughs) You just need to know that. Like, there's no other piece of furniture other than me sleeping in my bed that's comfortable in the house. So I'm either gonna lay in bed or sit in this chair. That's it. And so when someone's in my seat, it messes everything up. I entitled this message The problem with kings. I mean, kings need a throne to rule from. They need a place to sit. And the people of Israel, they had left Egypt and they had entered into the promised land. 
and they became jealous of other nations. And they came to the conclusion that we need a king. And that's the problem with kings. We need them. We need kings. Since the very beginning of God's interaction with people, I mean, it begins with Adam and then it passes to Noah, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then you find yourself dealing with Moses and Joshua. And then you find yourself in the judges and the Israelites, they're in the promised land. And from time to time, God raises up judges in times of need to deliver the people from their enemies. But at the end of the book of Judges, there's this interesting phrase. Judges chapter 21. In those days... Israel had no, everybody at all of our locations helped me out, king, and everyone did as they saw fit. The irony of that statement is that up until this moment in time, Israel had, well, technically never had a king. So when it says in those days they had no king, those days have been all days. They've never had a king. And the irony of that statement is that it's just as true today. When you and I, we don't surrender our lives to something greater than ourselves, something beyond ourselves. When collectively, we as people don't choose to serve something other than us, everyone ends up doing what they want. You know this to be true, parents. Why do you get babysitters? Because when you're gone, you wanna make sure that the kids don't get to do whatever they want. So as you leave your castle, you install a temporary king to keep the kids in check. And then there comes that ignorant phase in parenting where you go, our kids are old enough to watch themselves. Because <laughs> parents are like, our kids are great kids. They're awesome. They can watch themselves. We're just gonna be gone for one night. Oh man. The amount of high school parties that have, been, that have been taken care of under the realm of watch themselves. You, as soon as you leave the house, the kids are like, mom, dad, we'll be praying for you. Come home quickly. They're gone. Let's get this party started is exactly what happens. We know this. Some, we need someone to rule. And eventually, everyone realizes that they need someone to rule over them. And so the people came to the prophet Samuel, and this is what they said. You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. Since the beginning of human history, I know I said the people have had no king, but at the same time, they've always had a king. From the beginning of time, their king has always been God. He's led them, he's protected them, he's delivered them, he's cared for them. It wasn't Moses that parted the Red Sea, that was God. It wasn't Moses who created the pillar of fire by day and the pillar, or the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That was God too. It wasn't Joshua who cried out and the walls of Jericho came falling down. It was God who caused the walls to fall down. It wasn't the judges who were delivering the people of Israel from their enemies. It was God who was doing that. God was their king. They just didn't want to recognize him as king. 
And that's one of the problems with kings, is sometimes we don't want to recognize the one we have. So Samuel, he's displeased, and he goes to the Lord, and this is what he says in verse 8. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim, or what, who, what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Here's the problem with kings. We're bad at picking them. You and I are bad at picking kings. And if you go all the way back in human history, everybody else is bad at picking kings too. Samuel went out to pick a king, and look how he describes the king he finds. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. They go out looking for a king to rule over them, and Samuel just can't get over how good this guy looks. You'd think that this would be a one-off, but that's not it at all. Eventually, God uh, rejects Saul as king, and so he tells Samuel to go out and anoint another king. He sends them to the house of Jesse, who has a whole bunch of sons. He brings seven sons out to Samuel, and the first time Samuel sees uh, Jesse's oldest son, look what he says in verse 16. When, or in chapter 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, this is Jesse's oldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But look at what the Lord says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, everybody help me out, heart. Seven sons passed in front of Samuel. The eventual son that was chosen to be the next king wasn't even picked. You think you have family problems. Jesse has the, 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 the priest over and he's there ready to anoint a king. They don't even invite David to the party. David's out tending the sheep. They get through all seven kids and Samuel looks at Jesse and goes, is this all of your sons? And he's like, well, I've got David. So they send for David out in the fields and he comes in and Samuel can't help himself. He acknowledges what David looks like. We're so bad at picking kings because we look at all the wrong things. We put all kinds of people on the throne of our lives. You've done it. Oh man, I've done it. Uh, for some of you, uh, you put the approval of a bad dad in the throne of your heart. I mean, you know, when the lottery came, you got skipped and you got a bad one and you're still trying to win his approval. And he has taken so much from you because you keep him here in this seat. Some of you, it's the approval of somebody. 
You desperately want their approval and so you have bent your life so that way it looks more like their life and you've traded your God-given individuality for a bad copy of what God created in somebody else. And in doing so, you've lost who you are. Some of us, we've put our emotions on the throne of our lives. We're driven by our anger, our greed, our lust. We buy and spend and live for pleasure all because of the carnal nature we have. We have a, we're trying to quench a never-ending thirst. We're trying to satisfy an unrelenting hunger. There are some of us who are in desperate need for a relationship. We're unhappy in our singleness. And so we go, I've just got to go out and find somebody. And we have all these lists and attributes of the man or the woman that you want to be in relationship with. And then over time, you, you compromise on all the things you're looking for. And you're just kind of like, do you have a job? Are you breathing? Would you like to sit here? Because you can. Uh, some of you married people, let me, I'm not gonna let you off the hook. Some of you married people, uh, guys, some of you, you've put your wife here. And she's like, yeah, holla. <laughs> no, that's a bad spot. And some of you ladies, you've put your husband here. That's not good. Uh, uh, parents, you've put your kids here. They rule you. You've seen your kids get dressed, right? You've seen them come down the stairs ready to go places, and you want those people to sit here in your life? Not a chance. Not me. I mean, you can be crazy. No. We do that though, don't we? We put all kinds of people and things on the throne of our heart. We're bad at picking kings. And just so you know, all the people that you invite to sit here, they're happy to do so. They'd love to sit down for a little bit. But I need you to remember, they can never give you what only God can give you. And eventually you end up getting mad at them, disappointed in them, because they couldn't give you what you desperately needed. And then you push them away because you think that they failed you. It's not fair. You failed them because you put them in a seat they were never supposed to sit in in the first place. You asked them to be God without being God. We're just not good at picking kings. And so then you know what we do? Oh, you've been there. After we've put a couple people on the throne, we're like, boy, nobody else is really good at being king. You know what I'm gonna do? You know what I need? I need to just take over. I'm gonna be in charge of my life for a little bit. And at first, oh gosh, it feels pretty good. There's an excitement, there's freedom. It's high time we put ourselves in charge. And it seems like a pretty good idea. But Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to, help me out. Oh, it sounds like a pretty good idea for you to be in charge of your life, but that pretty good idea, it leads somewhere. It leads to death. 
I'll be honest though, sometimes when we try to sit in a seat that belongs to God, it's kind of cute. Like when my kids are sitting in my chair underneath my blanket watching TV, it's kind of cute. When they come outside wearing one of my hats that doesn't fit and it kind of hangs off the side, it's kind of cute. When I'm working outside and they put on my muck boots and they're walking around in them and they're just dragging them everywhere because they can't get their feet off the ground, it's cute. It's cute that they want to be like me. The problem is, is when they want to be me. When the oldest son starts trying to discipline the other younger kids in the house, I'm like, whoa, 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 boy. Just because you sit in my chair, just because you wear my hat, just because you can put your leg in my, in my shoes, doesn't mean you're me. And so you and I, we, we sit in the God seat. And that's when things really start to fall apart for us. Because what we don't realize is that when we sit in this seat in our lives, we become ultimately responsible for how our life turns out. You take your life into your own hands, which means you're responsible for all of it. We want a rule, but deep down inside, we don't want the responsibility. We were driving somewhere and I had the kids in the car and Jennifer and uh, one of my nieces, and I hinted that I was gonna take the kids to Dairy Queen, possibly. And uh, we were driving and my kids were just acting out of pocket. You've been there, maybe. And I just was like, I don't wanna spend money on getting these boys ice cream. And so I turned to their mom because she would know what I was gonna do. And I said, I'll just be honest with you, this is kinda where I'm at. And she goes, I completely agree, which was like a huge first for us that we agreed on a parenting move. And so she articulated the news to my boys that they would not be getting ice cream because of how they were behaving. Now, uh, I have one of my nieces in the car and she's been fantastic, so she deserves ice cream, so I'm still gonna get her ice cream. And I've been really well behaved. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm eating ice cream, but my two boys aren't getting any. My oldest son, full-blown repentance. Dad, I'm so sorry, I wanna be a better son. I didn't know, I, I'm so, I appreciate, I appreciate you telling me that but you're not getting any ice cream. Youngest son does not take the news well. By the time we finally get home, he doesn't wanna be a part of our house anymore. So I sit down in my chair. I don't wanna be here anymore. Well, now I'm in the parenting move. Like, what do you do? You've been there. So I, first of all, I go, it's really sad, Maddox, that you love ice cream more than your mom. Right now I do! <laughs> I get it, man. Dairy Queen's got some good stuff going on. I'm not gonna. So then he's like, I'm leaving! He gets to the door, opens it. I'm like, where are you going? I said I'm leaving! With those clothes? What? With those clothes? What do you mean, Dad? Well, I bought those clothes. Those are mine. 
So you can go, just not with those clothes. So my son shuts the, slams the door and goes back upstairs. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a smart guy. <laughs> Next thing I know, about two minutes later, my son comes down the stairs wearing nothing but a towel. <laughs> opens the front door of the house, throws the towel back inside, shuts the door. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah, I give out classes, charge. And uh, my wife is now fully attuned into what my parenting process is. And uh, my son, it's 8.30 at night, my kid's naked on the front porch. <laughs> I'm still eating. This is like, just so you know, this was like two weeks ago. Okay, this is not like when he was little. No, this is like two weeks ago. Next thing I know, the door opens. I'm staying one more night, and then I'm leaving. He wanted to be in charge, but he didn't want the responsibility of being in charge. And you and I, we like to sit in the seat, but over time, we realize that this is not the seat we were ever supposed to sit in. The other problem with kings is that there's an illusion that if we could get the right king, life wouldn't be so tough. But the truth is, all kings are tough. That if we could get the right king, maybe we wouldn't have so much hardship, so much adversity, so much difficulty. It's just not the case. All kings are tough. I mean, Jesus says, love your enemies. Be honest with yourself. Is that tough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so is letting hate take over your life. All kings are tough. Jesus says to bless those who persecute you. I think we can all agree that's tough. Yeah, but so is letting anger control your life. All kings are tough. King Jesus says we're supposed to forgive. That's tough. But so is closing yourself off from everybody else so you never get hurt again. That's tough too. <laughs> Jesus says that we're supposed to live a life of service and that's tough. But so is the loneliness that sets in from living a life that only benefits you. All kings are tough. You just have to choose which tough king do you wanna have. The promise of when you pick Jesus as your king is that he actually provides you with the strength and the power to live out that life. He gives it to you because you can't do it on your own. No matter what choice you make, it's going to be tough. But one tough comes with godly strength and power. Look what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord, or the King, is faithful. That means you can trust him. Whatever he says, he will do. You can trust him and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. What is he promising to do for you? To strengthen you and to protect you. All kings are tough, but not all kings are good. 
Most of us know this in our hearts and our minds, and many of us, we know this from experience that not all kings are good. I mean, all kings rule and govern and direct, but all the other kings out there, they take from you. They take your identity, your happiness, your possessions, your freedom. Just so you know, Jesus takes two. But what he takes is he takes your sins away. All kings are tough, but not all kings are good. Um, and kings rule, and all other kings, they, they rule temporarily. They move on, they extract as much value as they possibly can from you, and then they leave. But Jesus' reign isn't temporary, it's forever. There's no end to his rule. Uh, all kings serve. Other kings, they serve themselves. It's about their welfare, their expansion, their dominion. But Jesus is a different kind of king. Uh, he's the kind of king that came to, you know, serve. Who? You. And give his life as a ransom for many. All kings protect they protect their reputation, they protect their standing, but Jesus, instead of protecting himself, laid himself down, and in doing so, protects you and me from the sting of death. All kings are tough, but not all kings are good. And so some of us, we get to the point where we're going, you know what, we should let Jesus sit on a throne. But the problem with true kings is true kings don't sit on small thrones. And that's what a lot of us have tried to do, isn't it? Instead of giving Jesus this part of our life, we'll make something for him, something we're more comfortable with and go, Jesus, you can sit here. But true kings, They're not supposed to sit on small thrones. I mean, tell me if this is you. You've said, Jesus, you can sit on the throne of my Sunday. Just not my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, Jesus, you can sit on the throne of my prayer life. Just not the throne of my real life. Now, Jesus, you can sit on the throne of my problems. You just can't sit on the throne of my successes. Jesus, you can sit on the throne of getting me a job, but you can't sit on the throne of my finances. Jesus, you can't sit on the throne of who I marry, but you're gonna, I'm gonna ask you to sit on the throne of trying to put my marriage back together that I shouldn't have got in in the first place. Jesus, you can sit on the throne of my sickness, but you can't sit on the throne of my health. It's my life, and I want to do whatever I want with it. Just so you know, we weren't the first people to do this. To trying to get Jesus to sit on a throne he was never designed to sit on. When Jesus came here to earth, that's what the Israelites kept trying to do. They kept trying to get Jesus to become their earthly king. If only he would step into his rightful place, be king of the Jews, overthrow the Roman government, sit on an earthly throne. 
then everything would be okay. They wanted to make Jesus a political king. They wanted him to be in charge of their government. And Jesus, well, he wanted to be the king of their heart. Your heart is a bigger throne than the Oval Office. Jesus came for you to sit here. That's where he wants to reign. So let me ask you a question. Who's king in your life? I, I know you know the right, what the answer should be. I know you know what the answer could be. I'm asking what is the answer right now? Who's king in your life? Maybe there's somebody sitting in a chair that you need to boot. Maybe that person you need to boot is you. Maybe if you're looking, you're seeing that Jesus is sitting here and you need to get rid of that chair altogether and invite Jesus to sit here. Every single week we show you baptism videos of people getting baptized. Before the, they get baptized, we ask them if they're ready to take Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Savior, because he's saving them. We realize that we've got ourselves in a situation that we can never fix ourselves and that we need to be rescued from it. There's no way we could fix it ourselves. Uh, but we also say we're making him our Lord. Another word for Lord is king. Isn't the reason Jesus is having to save us is because we've been our own king and we got ourselves into the mess. He's not just saving you, he is replacing himself as the ruler in your life. And some of us need to get off of his throne. He bought it, he paid the price for it. Uh, just so you know, you can bow to him now or you can bow to him later. Either way it'll happen. Philippians chapter two says this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can bow now or you'll be forced to bow later. There will come a time when Jesus will come back to reign. But to those of us who've already made him Lord and Savior of our lives, to those of us who are already in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that will be a wonderful day. But to those of us who haven't, it won't. Second thing I need you to really contemplate here is everybody else looks at the outward appearance, but God is looking at your heart. When Jesus showed up here on earth, he would interact with these religious leaders and he would use this phrase called whitewashed tombs. They looked so pretty on the outside, but they were full of dead things. There's a tendency for those of us who've been in relationship with Jesus for a while to say the right things and to do the right things, but our heart could still be far from Jesus. We could be a whitewashed tomb. Everybody around of us is amazed at how spiritual we are, how committed we are, how serious we take our faith, and yet God looks at our heart. What that means is, is you can fool your boyfriend, uh, you can fool your girlfriend, you can fool your mom and dad, you can fool the people you come to church with, the people you sit with, but you can't fool him. 
So just be real with him and acknowledge who's sitting on the throne. We called this sermon series 360 Jesus. I mean, yes, Jesus came to serve and Jesus came to save and Jesus came to love, but if you don't recognize that Jesus also came to rule over you, you don't have a full picture, a full 360 degree understanding of Jesus. He came to rule and he came to rule in your heart. Second thing is, If, they're, if you're looking at your life and you're giving this over to Jesus and this over to Jesus and this over to Jesus, but there's other areas of your life that you haven't turned over to him yet, Jesus wants 360 degree access to you. My question is, will you let him have it? We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.